the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing Clark Hilton Engineering, and we're glad to have you with us. In the five o'clock hour, we'll share a conversation I had with Everett Piper, simply the book rather that he's authored is simply titled Grow Up. Life isn't safe, but it's good. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Taking a look at uh, some of the weekend and day's headlines, months ahead of the COVID-19 outbreak, the Wuhan National Biosafety Lab requested bids for major renovations to air safety and waste treatment systems and research facilities that had been operational for less than two years, according to a new congressional report on the pandemic's origin. Well, such a significant renovation so soon after the facility began operation appears unusual. The report from the House Foreign Affairs Committee Republican staff says, well, the project for air disinfection, hazardous waste and central air conditioning systems all raise questions about how well these systems were functioning in the months prior to the outbreak of COVID-19. Was it simply a systems failure? Well, the true reason for the procurement posting is unclear, as is uh, when or if the work was ever initiated. Uh, It added another circumstantial element to the controversial argument that the pandemic began at the Wuhan lab, including suspicious behavior and obfuscation from China's government and signs the pandemic began months before previously assumed. Well, only weeks ahead of President Biden's deadline for the intelligence community's review into the origins of the pandemic, Republicans will release their most detailed case yet, arguing that researchers in Wuhan It could have genetically manipulated the virus and that the preponderance of evidence suggests SARS-CoV-2 was accidentally released from a Wuhan Institute of Virology laboratory. Well, staff of Representative Michael McCall, a Republican from Texas, the top Republican on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, will include this information as an addendum to the September report. Well, in other developments, top Biden officials now believe a COVID lab leak is possible and seems more um, probable. Uh, Dr. Fauci and top scientists have been called to brief White House, or rather House committees. An earlier phone call is being questioned. Well, GOP representatives are seeking answers uh, from uh, Fauci on whether he misled Americans on the gain of function research in China. And Mark Meadows calls out Dr. Fauci over his response to the Wuhan lab leak story. Well, progressive lawmakers took aim at President Biden over the weekend after the White House let a nationwide ban on evictions expire and an 11th hour push by Democrats to extend the moratorium failed, putting millions of renters at risk of losing their homes. Well, the eviction halt first implemented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in September ended on Saturday without the freeze. More than 15 million people living in the U.S. who were behind in their rental payments could face eviction 
That's according to a study published by the Aspen Institute and COVID-19 Eviction Defense Project on Wednesday. And although House Democrats staged a last-minute effort to keep the ban alive until the end of the year after the White House announced that the president would let the moratorium lapse, they failed to secure the necessary support from at least a dozen members of their own caucus. The White House said on Thursday that a recent Supreme Court ruling that that uh, implied rather most justices believe the CDC had exceeded its authority prevented the president from extending the ban, drawing ire from progressives who warned that a looming eviction crisis demanded an urgent government response. The White House says it doesn't have authority to extend the eviction moratorium or cancel student debt. Representative Jamal Bowman, a Democrat of New York, tweeted, but it hasn't had a problem conducting airstrikes without authorization from Congress. Well, that sentiment has uh, echoed, uh, rather was echoed by other left-leaning lawmakers, some of whom camped outside the Capitol in order to protest the expiration of the ban, furious that rather than challenging the Supreme Court, the White House chose to punt the issue to Congress just days before the moratorium ceased, which raises the question why Congress didn't take it up. Uh, We thought the White House was in charge. Representative Maxine Waters, um, Democrat from California and the chair of the Financial Services Committee, said on Saturday on CNN. Senator Bernie Sanders said it's a disgrace that the moratorium was ending. Rent is due tomorrow, he tweeted on Saturday, because, of course, the first of the month was Sunday. In case anyone forgot, we've been going through a deadly pandemic that ceased um, that rather caused an economic crisis. We can't allow families to be thrown out of uh, on the street. Congress and the White House must act. Well, interestingly, Congress failed to act once the Supreme Court rendered its decision that the CDC did not have the authority to suspend um, rent. Then it should have been um, something that uh, was fast tracked in Congress. Critics are pointing out Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, meanwhile, singled out the Biden administration, accusing it of putting House Democrats in a needlessly difficult situation. We asked the president, the administration for their stance, and they were not being fully forthright about their advocacy and that request until the day before the House adjourned. The matter has been exacerbated by the difficulty in Distributing the $46 billion in rent assistance approved by Congress in December and March, state and local officials have so far doled out just $3 billion in aid over the course of the first half of the year, or roughly 6.6% of the program intended to keep millions of renters in their homes. Well, in total, it's provided relief to a fraction of the 1.2 million households that have reportedly been very likely to face eviction in the next two months, the Treasury Department said in a news release. Well, Friday evening, the president uh, pressed local governments to take all possible steps to disperse the money. There can be no excuse for any state or locality not accelerating funds to landlords and tenants that have been hurt during the pandemic, he said in a statement. Well, Dr. Fauci respectfully disagrees that masks are a choice, saying infection is impacting everyone. White House Chief Health Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci has rejected the idea that face masks are a personal choice in the face of the increasingly severe Delta variant of the coronavirus. The United States on Thursday recorded almost 80,000 new COVID cases, well below the January peak of nearly 300,000 new daily cases, but a stark rise from a month ago when daily cases were under 10,000. And while the number of those cases driven by the more transmissible Delta variant isn't clear, the CDC advised uh, in early July that the variant was likely the dominant strain in the U.S. 
The CDC once again advised masks whenever individuals are inside shared spaces. But many people have resisted the call to wear masks, saying they have a right to choose whether to wear one. I respectably, respectfully disagree with them, Fauci said. He was on ABC's This Week. There are things that are individual responsibilities that one has, and there are things that have to do with individuality, which also impact others, and the spread of the infection that we're seeing now is impacting everyone in the country. And although we want to respect a person's individual right when you're dealing with public health situation, We are, in fact, in a very serious public health challenge here. A person's individual decision to not wear a mask not only impacts them, but you very well may infect another who may be vulnerable, he added. Well, the states, for the most part, and according to the Supreme Court, have the authority to make those kinds of decisions. And thus far, the mandate for wearing masks, the suggestion has been made, but not the mandate in either the state of Oregon or or Washington will continue to follow the, the debate in Washington, D.C., and what happens closer to home next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Dr. Fauci is warning the latest COVID-19 wave is going to get worse. And New York Times Brett Stevens hit Fauci in a scathing op-ed writing, COVID misinformation comes from the top two. Gavin Newsom is being slammed by a gubernatorial candidate, Larry Elder, for mask hypocrisy and ignoring science. And contradictions from Fauci, CDC and others throughout the COVID pandemic have been outlined in a viral Twitter thread. We'll share more on that in just a bit. While Olympic athlete Raven Saunders has become the latest to inject politics into the Tokyo Games, American silver medalist shot putter Raven Saunders, she delivered a political demonstration at the Olympic podium on Sunday in the latest protest at the Tokyo Games. During the photo op at her medal ceremony, she stepped off the podium, lifted her arms above her head and formed an X with her wrists. It's the intersection of where all people who are oppressed meet, she said, when asked what her protest meant. Well, Saunders, who is openly gay, has often wondered if the Olympics uh, could live up to the mission of diversity. To be me, to not apologize, she said, is a wide ranging conversation about her second place finish to show younger people that no matter how uh, many boxes they try to fit you in, you can be you and you can accept it. People try to tell me not to do tattoos and piercings and all that. But look at me now. I'm popping. Well, she was there in the Olympic Games. She competed on a level playing field. She made a spot on the team, so I'm not sure what the point she was attempting to make about being oneself. She was herself, made the team, and won a medal. Well, moments after her protest, American fencer Race Imboden was also seen with a circled X written on um, his hand as he went to the podium at a different venue after the U.S. men's foil team beat Japan in the bronze medal match. Saunders' protest comes after a handful of other Olympians demonstrated during the Summer Games, including players for the U.S. women's soccer team who knelt in protest of racism and discrimination ahead of a game with Sweden last month. Well, Simone Biles is set to compete in the balance beam after pulling out of three individual finals at the Tokyo Olympics. Biles and Suni Lee are supposed to compete in the balance beam event on Tuesday. A USA Gymnastics confirmed both competitors will be in that event finals. We are also excited uh, to confirm that you will see two U.S. athletes in the balance beam final tomorrow, tomorrow Suni Lee and Simone Biles. Uh, can't wait to watch you both, the organization tweeted. Well, Biles, as you know, skipped the vault and uneven bars after she uh, uh, stunned the world, pulling out of the team all around, an individual all around, citing mental health reasons. 
After further consultation with medical staff, Biles withdrew from the two events and will continue to be evaluated for the balance beam and floor exercise finals, the U.S. Gymnastics said in a statement on Saturday about the bars and the vault. We remain in awe of Simone, who continues to handle this situation with courage and grace, and all of the athletes who have stepped up during these unexpected circumstances, end quote. Well, Biles finished in seventh place with 14.066 in her balance beam qualification round. Lee finished in third place with 14.022. China has three competitors who could medal in the final apparatus event, um, uh, and uh, Canada's Elizabeth Black will also compete for a medal. Um, Biles won a bronze medal on the balance beam in the 2016 game. So this is by uh, no means her number one uh, event. Meanwhile, NPR has announced a new ethics policy that allows its journalists to participate in activities that advocate for the freedom and dignity of human beings on both social and in real life. A national rate public radio, an organization partially funded by taxpayers, will allow its its straight news reporters to engage in outright political activism. Well, the new policy eliminates the blanket prohibition from participating in marches, rallies and public events, as well as vague language that directed NPR journalists to avoid personally advocating for controversial or uh, polarizing issues. The NPR announced on Wednesday. Now, this may not sound like a very big deal, but it is a further erosion from what journalism was uh, at least originally thought to have been, where one is objective and you are disengaged from uh, activism or political uh, bias. Well, as more than a few have noted on social media, despite NPR's allowance for activism on behalf of the freedom and dignity of human beings, don't expect too many of its reporters to join a pro-life protest anytime soon. The NPR at article rather announcing the policy change mentioned Black Lives Matter protests and pride parades, of course. If anything, this change will simply affirm what people with the um, who have followed already knew NPR is not just committed to reporting the news, but engages in activism. Now it will just be uh, more obvious. Well, in many ways, it's simply following the trend of media industry in traditional outlets, many of which already leaned to the left now have become much more aggressive and open about their activism. Uh, In the case of some major outlets, it seems social justice warriors have taken over newsrooms, and we've watched that drama play out. They now create an environment where even mildly dissenting voices are swiftly stamped out, and fellow employees have to be careful so as not to be uh, the target of an internal woke crusade. Well, National Public Radio is simply following the transformation already taking place, and the implications uh, of it are Rather staggering when you consider the freedom of the press and why that was granted and what it was um, intended to represent. What's almost humorous about the timing of this announcement is that it uh, comes just a week after the outlet ran a long hit piece attacking Ben Shapiro's website, The Daily Wire, essentially for spreading disinformation just because it is conservative. The biggest laugh line in the NPR piece by only covering specific stories that bolster the conservative agenda, such as negative reports about socialist countries and polarizing ones about race and sexual uh, sexuality issues, and only including certain facts, readers still come away from the Daily Wire's content with the impression that Republican politicians can do little wrong and cancel culture is among the nation's greatest threats. Again, it's laughable because it is a description. If you change a few of the uh, the names would describe NPR and so many other national news uh, outlets. NPR's takedown of the Daily Wire appears to be that it's a self-described conservative website that doesn't reinforce left-wing narratives like other news outlets do. It's 
It states its intention and doesn't pretend to be anything other than what it is. How dare they? It seems NPR is asking. Actually, NPR's line does fit another website almost perfectly with just a few adjustments. By only covering specific stories that bolster the progressive agenda, such as polarizing ones about race and sexuality issues, readers still come away from NPR's content with the impression that Democrat politicians can do little wrong and former President Donald Trump is almost the nation's greatest threat. So, I, I again, um, at least we have an honest understanding of NPR uh, and those who report on its behalf as being uh, politicized and allowed to do so. Well, NPR uh, long has uh, had a left-leaning bent, but anyone who has spent attention um, or at least paid attention to its coverage in the past few years would recognize that the nonstop uh, political narratives that focus on gender and race have been put into overdrive. Uh, so again, this represents at least a, a level of honesty that would have been recognized prior to this most recent announcement. Well, Senate, uh, the senators have produced the one trillion dollar infrastructure bill after days of negotiations. But of course, Democrats, particularly in the House with the uh, uh, speaker indicating that it is inexorably tethered uh, to the other infrastructure bill. It will not require any uh, Republican support. We'll continue to follow that story as uh, things heat up in Washington. Well, drone footage of migrants at a Texas bridge is an absolute catastrophe from uh, the administration, Republicans say. It is rather troubling footage. And an ex-F Facebook employee uh, sounds the alarm after rejecting a big payday to speak out. It was rather large, by the way. A tax agency has ruled that Trump owed a one Trump is owed rather a one million dollar refund, but it may not be easy to collect. And a California pig rule could cause bacon to disappear in California. Now, if you thought Californians were racing, heading uh, heading north uh, to Oregon and Washington before this may, in fact, be the thing that empties out the state. The pig rule could cause bacon to disappear and could cause California residents to disappear as well. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're winding our way through some of the uh, news headlines of the last uh, few days. We're also going to share a classic interview with uh, Dr. Everett Piper. Grow up. uh, Life isn't safe, but it's good. Coming up in the second hour of today's program. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Democrats are prepping the massive infrastructure bill and plan to push it through uh, before most can read it. The Wall Street Journal points out that Mr. Schumer wants to rush the bill through so he can move on to Bernie Sanders' $3.5 trillion budget resolution that he's going to then sprint through on a one-party line vote. He wants to pass both before the Senate's August recess. Amendments, which I believe is coming up on Monday, uh, amendments will often be offered and voted on while the nation sleeps to meet the uh, deadline that is uh, convenient for the political class, but not for informing the public. Both parties operate this way now, but... It isn't the right way to run a a, a constitutional republic, and no wonder Americans hold Congress in such low regard. Well, Ben Shapiro says total numbers of people in Congress who will read this before voting, zero. Dan McLaughlin points out at this stage, even the staffers may not read the thing. And another story notes the new $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill contains billions of dollars to upgrade border crossings. But no money at all for the southern border wall, which President Joe Biden abandoned despite an ongoing surge of migration. Democrat Joe Manchin hasn't said if he'll vote to approve the legislation. 
Well, the American Medical Association is advising the removal of sex from birth certificates. The reason is, well, political. Uh, From the story, requiring it can lead to discrimination and unnecessary burden on individuals whose current gender identity does not align with their designation at birth, namely when they register for school or sports, adopt, get married, or request personal records. Eric Erickson said this is why so many people don't believe the experts anymore. The experts have started putting politics ahead of basic biology and science and are advocates of one side in the culture war, but trust them on the vaccine. Well, Iran attacked an oil tanker with a drone, killing two people inside. Uh, in his statement, Riab said it was highly likely Iran attacked the tanker with one or more drones. We believe this attack was deliberate, targeted and a clear violation of international law by Iran, he said. Iran must end such attacks and vessels must be allowed to navigate freely in accordance with international law. Well, Mr. Blinken simil- similarly described the U.S. as confident Iran carried out the attack using multiple drones. Well, these actions threaten freedom of navigation through this crucial waterway, international shipping and commerce, and the lives of those on the vessels involved, he said in a statement. The question is, what's the response? Well, another story notes the ship was owned by a Japanese company but was managed by Israeli-owned Zodiac Maritime. Israeli officials have alleged this was the reason the tanker became a target. And the Wall Street Journal editorial board writes, here's an idea. Stop negotiating with Iran on nuclear deal uh, that would reward the regime by lifting sanctions and handing it cash and investment to finance new UAV and other attacks throughout the region and beyond. In recent weeks, Iran has plotted to kill an Iranian-born U.S. citizen in New York City, encouraged its proxies to attack U.S. bases in Iraq, and accelerated its violations of the 2015 nuclear accord. A new hardline president is taking power in Tehran and has said a renewed deal can contain no limits on Iran's regional behavior. Instead of making more concessions, Mr. Biden should walk away and step up the sanctions. Well, the left is uh, on hypocrisy alerts as former President Obama plans a massive 60th birthday party for himself. Now, I think in fairness, it sounds like he's going to be following all of the protocols that have been set up for such events uh, with hundreds of guests flying in from around the globe, which is probably the larger concern with global warming uh, that he Uh, would uh, argue. But it's the super spreader part that uh, has people concerned. From the story, the party party will be held outdoors. All guests are asked to be vaccinated and invitees have been told there will be a COVID coordinator to ensure all proper protocols are followed. Maybe not quite so hypocritical. We'll continue to follow the story as it develops. And uh, no, Clark, James and I were not invited. A federal contractor says we've caught staff acting inappropriately with illegal immigrant miners. He was speaking at a facility that was holding 3,000 miners at the time. Guy Benson says the policy is failing and inhumane. We're not hearing many reports on that, however. Republican Governor Kristi Noem says uh, workers who refuse to be vaccinated can find other work. The story says Noam's tweet comes after she faced scorn from conservatives over the way that she handled pro- protecting girls from having to compete against biological males in sports. Not really clear on the connection, but there you have it. Well, new Converse shoes reportedly display, display rather a satanic pentagram. Uh, in the launch post on social media, Converse wrote, the aesthetic is all about disrupting formality, embracing traditional structure and then blowing it up. Rick Owens crafts a Chuck 70 unlike any other, and it's only the beginning for Converse and Dark Shadow. In another post by Converse, Owen wrote, 
Um, I've been using this pentagram for a long time because obviously it has adolescent occult associations. We'll tell you more about that later in the program, but you can read about it on the Christian Post website. Converse, by the way, is owned by Nike. Well, Snopes is denying Converse uh, replaced its logo with satanic symbolism, but that's not what most stories are saying. Well, a California restaurant owner says that he will only serve unvaccinated diners. If you're going to uh, take a bold stance, why not do it in the state where they are at least likely to approve it? Well, progressive laws could be what finishes California Governor Newsom in the recall that is uh, looming from the story uh, in The Wall Street Journal. Crime, which has been surging as progressives have essentially decriminalized drug use and petty theft and released thousands of criminals from jail there. Homicides rose 31 percent last year. Last Monday, former California Senator Barbara Boxer was mugged in Oakland. I was yelling at the uh, the kid, why would you do this to a grandma? But he could care less. Ms. Boxer said a homeless man attempted to assault Mr. Newsom in Oakland in June. And fortunately, he had a security detail to protect him. Ordinarily, or rather ordinary Californians aren't so privileged. In April, an elderly woman was stabbed to death while walking her dog in a Riverside Park by a mentally ill homeless woman who had been arrested and released after a previous attack. Larry Elder is coming after Newsom and is thus far the front runner in uh, that opposition effort. Well, in government and politics, President Biden is looking to have feds provide lawyers for migrants at the border. And the president and Congress allowed the eviction ban to expire. AOC blames conservative Democrats for that foible from her perspective. And the Department of Justice has ordered the Treasury Department to turn over former President Trump's tax returns to the House Ways and Means or the Inquisition Committee. You can read more in National Review online. 50,000 illegal immigrants have been released into the U.S. without a court date. Only 13 percent have reported to ICE. Meanwhile, the Coast Guard sent 27 Cubans found at sea back to the communist island. Must be that new math that's been politicized. Well, the Taliban launched 22,000 attacks in four months after President Biden delayed the Afghanistan withdrawal. Meanwhile, the U.S. and the U.K. blame Iran for that drone strike on an oil tanker in the Arabian Sea. Texas governor, the Texas governor, signed a statewide ban on government-required masks and vaccines. That's not sitting well with critics. And top teachers' unions are saying, well, we're going to try to open schools in the fall. Meanwhile, the average teacher's salary rose almost 3% during the year of school closures. Murderopolis, that's what they're calling the city, the, the city rather, at the center of George Floyd protests. It uh, has hit an all-time high homicide record there. Well, Democrat uh, donor Ed Buck, who prayed uh, almost exclusively on homeless black men, has been found guilty in a series of drug overdose deaths. He was a big donor. I'm uh, glad he's finally been convicted. Defrocked Cardinal Theodore McCarrick has been charged with sexually assaulting a teenager in the 1970s. Well, chickens are coming home to roost. Andrew Cuomo is begging businesses to return to New York City after the devastating shutdown. We'll see how that goes. And even friendly polls are showing President Biden tanking amidst renewed lockdowns and mask mandates. We'll see how that goes as well. A GOP report says evidence proves COVID emerged from Wuhan. We'll uh, talk about that later in the program. Rather interesting. And the New York Times reports that former President Trump has built a war chest of more than $100 million. 
Well, double standards, the award. Well, it took less than 24 hours for the D.C. mayor to be caught violating her new mask mandate in a public place, unmasked with a group of others. Now, there's some question as to whether or not she was eating at the time, at which point one is presumably allowed to lower their mask. But nonetheless, it was just um, hours before the mandate was announced. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll let you know what happened on this day in history. We'll take a look at the Treasury that's uh, deployed extraordinary measures after Congress met, uh, missed rather its debt ceiling deadline. And the White House has finally hit the 70 percent vaccination goal. It was nearly a month later, but it was hit nonetheless. That and more when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. In our second hour, we'll share a conversation with Everett Piper. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Well, on this day in history, 1921, a jury in Chicago acquits several former members of the Chicago White Sox baseball team and two others of conspiring to defraud the public in the notorious Black Sox scandal linked to the 1919 World Series. 1923, Warren G. Harding, the 29th president of the United States, dies while in office of a heart attack in San Francisco. Vice President Calvin Coolidge becomes president. 1939, on this day in history, Albert Einstein, Einstein, he signs a letter to President Franklin Delano Roosevelt urging the creation of an atomic weapons research program. 1939, President Roosevelt signs the Hatch Act which prohibits civil service employees from taking an active part in political campaigns. <laughs> oh, sorry. 1974, former White House counsel John W. Jean Dean III is sentenced to one to four years in prison for obstruction of justice in the Watergate cover-up. Dean would serve up to four months. 1990, Iraq invades Kuwait, seizing control of the oil-rich emirate. The Iraqis uh, were later driven out by a U.S.-led coalition in Operation Desert Storm. On this day in history, 2000, Republicans nominate Texas Governor George W. Bush to lead their 2000 presidential ticket at the party's convention in Philadelphia and ratify former Defense Secretary Dick Cheney as his running mate. 2018, Pope Francis changes Roman Catholic Church teaching on capital punishment, decreeing that the death penalty is inadmissible under all circumstances. And finally, on this day in history, 2019, President Donald Trump decides to withdraw from the U.S., uh, I should say withdraw the U.S., from the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, the INF Treaty, the historic arms control treaty signed by President Ronald Reagan and Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev. Well, the Treasury Department, they're going to start taking special casts, um, uh, preservation measures starting today to prevent the U.S. government from defaulting on its debt after Congress missed a key deadline to raise or suspend the borrowing limit. Well, that debt ceiling, which is currently around $22 trillion, is the legal limit on the total amount of debt that the federal government can borrow on behalf of the American people. Well, according to the Committee for the Responsible Federal Budget, it applies to both the $16.2 trillion had held by the public and the $5.9 trillion owed by the government. If the debt ceiling is not raised or suspended, the U.S. government can no longer issue debt and will soon run out of cash on hand. Well, in 2019, former President Donald Trump suspended the nation's borrowing limit for two years. But that suspension expired on Saturday without any congressional action forcing the Treasury Department to take what are known as extraordinary measures so the government can continue to pay its obligations. If Congress has not acted to suspend 
or increase the debt limit by Monday, August the 2nd. Yeah, that's today. Treasury will need to start taking certain additional extraordinary measures in order to prevent the United States from defaulting on its obligations. That's a quote from Janet Yellen, who, of course, is the Treasury secretary. She wrote a letter on the 23rd of July to the top four congressional leaders. Well, extraordinary measures the Treasury takes uh, include a range of items like halting contributions to certain government pension funds, suspending state and local government series um, securities and borrowing from money set aside to manage exchange rate fluctuations, according to the CFR, uh, the CRFB, rather. Well, the department also said it would uh, have $450 billion cash on hand starting in August. Well, the Treasury Department didn't immediately respond to the request for comments since today is the 2nd of August. The Congressional Budget Office estimated at the end of July that the government would probably run out of money to pay its bills sometime in the fall, likely October or November. Well, it's unclear uh, how or when lawmakers plan to raise or suspend the debt limit. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, I should say Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, said recently that he doesn't expect any Republican senators to support actions to prevent the government from defaulting on its debt, meaning that unless Democrats can secure the support of at least 10 GOP senators, they'll need to raise the debt limit in their $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. Well, the uh, period of time that extraordinary measures may last is uh, subject to considerable uncertainty due to a variety of factors, including the challenge of forecasting the payments and receipts of the U.S. government months into the future, exacerbated by the heightened uncertainty in payments and receipts related to the economic impact of the pandemic. That's what Yellen wrote in her letter to Congress. Well, the U.S. has never defaulted on its debt before, but came close in 2011. You might remember when House Republicans refused to pass a debt ceiling increase, prompting um, rating agency Standard & Poor's to downgrade the U.S. debt rating one notch. While temporarily defaulting on some of its obligations could have serious and negative economic implications, interest rates uh, would likely spike and demand for treasuries would drop. Even the threat of a default, just the threat, can cause borrowing costs to increase. So, Pretty important to see what uh, they plan to do in the near term. Today was that last day. Well, the White House has hit the 70 percent vaccination goal nearly a month late. But nonetheless, the country's vaccination pace has significantly slowed, delaying that uh, that goal being met. The White House announced the milestone today with 70 percent of U.S. adults receiving at least one dose of COVID-19. The Biden administration, I should say the vaccine, the administration had initially set out to reach that goal by the 4th of July. White House COVID-19 data director Cyrus Shafar uh, took to Twitter to announce the news uh, today, writing Milestone Monday just in. Today we hit 70 percent of adults with at least one dose, plus 468,000 doses reported administered, including 320,000 newly vaccinated. Seven-day average of newly vaccinated highest since the 4th of July. Uh, Let's continue working to get more eligible vaccinated. End quote. Well, the milestone comes as the country's vaccination pace has significantly slowed and infections are rising across the country, largely due to the highly transmissible Delta variant, we're told. Uh, That's said to account for over 83 percent of sequenced um, samples. Well, the variant recently sparked a 
A reversal in federal health guidance after data suggested fully vaccinated individuals could pass on the virus to others. Well, some states have adopted the latest mask guidance from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. It's guidance. It's not a mandate from CDC. They don't have that authority. Like Illinois and Nevada now advising fully vaccinated individuals to wear masks in public indoors. Uh, in places with high and substantial viral spread. Other states like New York have moved to implement vaccine mandates or weekly testing for state workers to limit the risk to patients. And of course, Oregon and Washington have altered their positions as well. Meanwhile, Senator Lindsey Graham announced today that he contracted a breakthrough case of COVID-19. He's referring to it as a breakthrough because Graham is fully vaccinated and credited the vaccine with preventing a more severe case of the illness. I was just informed by the House physician I have tested positive for COVID-19 even after being vaccinated. I started having flu-like symptoms on Saturday night and went to the doctor this morning, Graham wrote on Twitter. I feel like I have a sinus infection and at present time I have mild symptoms. I am very glad I was vaccinated because without vaccination, I am certain I would not feel as well as I do now. My symptoms would be far worse. The senator said he would enter quarantine for 10 days. Well, Senator Graham was one of 17 Republican senators who voted to open debate on the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill. Additionally, he was part of the bipartisan group of 21 senators who negotiated the outlines of that bill in the weeks preceding its introduction to the Senate. It wasn't immediately clear if he uh, his quarantine would affect negotiations or uh, future votes on the legislation. Well, out of 164 million who have received a coronavirus vaccine, 125,000 have tested positive for breakthrough infections, according to data compiled by NBC News. The number of breakthrough infections, and again, those are infections that um, it, that vaccinated people contract, uh, may be higher because several states didn't uh, report data on that subject in particular. Well, I mentioned it earlier in the program, but Representative Michael McCall, a Republican out of Texas, shared new findings from the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Republicans probe into the possible origins of COVID-19 today and accused the Chinese communist government of engaging in the the, um, greatest cover up in human history. Now, that's saying something, the greatest cover up in human history. Well, the committee's ranking Republican during an appearance on America's newsroom laid out a number of key points from the report and asserted that the uh, CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, is likely very concerned by its findings. They were playing with fire, said McCall. They were genetically manipulating at the lab this gain of function that was taking place. Well, many of the key points from that report focused on activities in and around Wuhan that appeared to indicate the virus may have been circulating in China as early as September, well before the World Health Organization's country office in the People's uh, Republic of China picked up a press statement on December the 31st of 2019 by the Wuhan Municipal Health Commission from their website on cases of viral pneumonia in Wuhan. In September, the lab's genetic sequencing database was taken offline in the middle of the night, which, according to McCall, shows that they were trying to hide or cover up something of significant concern. Well, satellite imagery from around the same time Uh, period purportedly shows increased activity at the hospitals near the Wuhan lab. Months ahead of the COVID-19 outbreak, the Wuhan National Biosafety Lab requested bids for major renovations of air safety and waste treatment systems in search facilities, or rather research facilities, that had been operational for less than two years, according to the report on the pandemic's origins. Well, interesting. More reports are expected from 
the administration. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We have news and traffic coming at the top of the hour. We'll continue our look at the news, and then we'll share a classic uh, conversation with Everett Piper, author of Grow Up. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blinn producing Clark Hilton Engineering. Coming up in our next segment, we'll hear a classic interview with Everett Piper. Grow Up is the title of his book. We'll also talk about um, uh, the fact that President Biden has named the first Muslim religious freedom ambassador. And America is pretty outraged with Converse. Well, some Americans are. We'll tell you more about that uh, later in this second hour of today's program. But first, Representative Michael McCall, a Republican, shared uh, new findings from the House Foreign Affairs Committee just before the uh, uh, the top of the hour break. I was talking about the fact that this is uh, pretty much of a bombshell from the GOP connecting the Wuhan lab, uh, calling it the greatest cover up in human history. I can think of a few things that might qualify, but we'll leave it at that. Well, I wanted to just finish a couple of things. Months ahead of the COVID-19 outbreak, the uh, Wuhan National Biosafety Lab, <coughs> excuse me, requested bids for major renovations, and that's part of the report. And I have to drink a little water here. <coughs> All righty then. Well, um, McCall ref- uh, referenced the October 2019 World Military Games, where he said some 9,000 people entered the country, and according to the Foreign Affairs Committee data, some returned to their home, Uh, their home countries with flu-like symptoms. (coughs) Sorry, I I no longer have a cough button that allows me to cough without being offensive, so I apologize. But a woman's got to do what a woman's got to do. Well, McCall also called for top researchers involved in the Wuhan lab to be sanctioned, and he singled out Peter Daszak, uh, whose New York-based organization Echo Health Alliance sent some $3.4 million in National Institutes of Health grants to the Wuhan lab between 2014 and 2019, according to the Wall Street Journal. Now, McCall said, I believe that Peter Daszak needs to testify before Congress about what was going on. Well, all of this comes only weeks ahead of President Biden's deadline for the intelligence community's review into the origins of the pandemic. Well, prior to this, Republicans will release their most detailed case yet, arguing that researchers in Wuhan could have genetically manipulated the virus and that the preponderance of evidence suggests SARS-CoV-2 was accidentally released from a Wuhan Institute of Virology laboratory. So the question remains unanswered, but at least there's a gathering of evidence that may ultimately, although I'm a little skeptical, may ultimately give us some answers. Whether or not there will ever be accountability, I have to say I doubt, but nonetheless... There you have it. Well, a Twitter thread published on Wednesday aimed to put a spotlight on the various flip-flops of Dr. Anthony Fauci and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention during the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, which may explain in part why there's such skepticism. We've all seen the virus flip-flops of the CDC and Dr. Anthony Fauci over the last 18 months. That's a quote from freelance writer Drew Holden. Holden has developed a following on social media with uh, for Twitter threads that are rather lengthy that showcase uh, bias and contradictions and the U.S. government's polarizing top epidemiologists is his latest target. So it's not exclusively this subject. It's been 
uh, what he does on a number of issues on both sides of the aisle. Well, to help keep track, I present Fauci versus Fauci, chronicling the twists, turns, contradictions and backtracks from the man and his agency holding added before presenting uh, followers uh, with his receipts. To start, we need to focus on Dr. Fauci's perspective on the virus itself and its risk to the United States. In late January 2020, Fauci said that COVID was a very, very low risk to the United States, Holden wrote. I think it goes without saying that his perspective has evolved since. One big obvious area of flipping is around the benefits of wearing masks. Dr. Fauci originally said that masks weren't effective and publicly encouraged Americans not to buy them. Guidance he doesn't regret. Well, now even vaccinated people need to wear them. Holden wrote to accompanying images of various headlines showing changing positions on masks. Well, Holden also pointed out that Fauci recently declared confidentially that the CDC wasn't going to change its recommendation about masking given the Delta variant. He added the image of a headline indicating that Fauci has since changed its position and recently said new mask mandates are under consideration. Well, the next tweet indicated that the number of masks recommended has also changed periodically throughout the pandemic. Dr. Fauci was a leading voice suggesting for months that the pandemic couldn't possibly have leaked from a lab in Wuhan, one that received U.S. tax dollars, by the way. That was until the consensus changed. And then suddenly the theory couldn't be dismissed. He continued complete 180. Well, Holden shared headlines to prove the CDC has reversed its stance on COVID testing, too. And you may have forgotten, but the CDC had a brouhaha also in September when new guidance about airborne transmission, including beyond six feet, went live on the agency's website. It was quickly scrubbed after a brief medical and news firestorm. Not exactly confidence inspiring. Schools have seen lots of reversals. In February, the CDC director said schools could reopen safely without teachers vaccinated. Um, He uh, continued, well, a few calls from the teachers union later, the CDC reversed course. Weeks later, new guidance sensing a theme was released focusing on teachers. The coronavirus pandemic is unlike anything any of us have seen before. There should be some Uh, Charity and humanity about bad predictions, Holden wrote at the time. But the idea that Dr. Fauci and the CDC haven't flipped flop, well, that's just preposterous. Well, it goes into much greater detail, but he does write that it's an uh, is it any wonder Americans don't trust public health experts after this? Does it surprise anyone that Dr. Fauci and the CDC aren't seen as reputable now? Well, these failures have consequences and you can measure them in lives. Holden wrote before concluding his thread by encouraging followers to donate to a Washington, D.C. food bank. Well, there was some. There's more. But the CNN uh, contributor Mary Catherine Ham criticized the media um, uh, finagling for a Fauci last week, saying um, she shouldn't uh, be beyond reproach. Fauci gets, frankly, a lot of um, finagling. I'm not how sure how that word is supposed to be interpreted and a lot of forums for his ideas. And he doesn't get a lot of uh, pushback. Ham pointed out making the uh, uh, the point that there is a lot of contradictory information over a period of time that occurred in the uh, previous administration where the idea of vaccinations uh, by the current president and vice president and others was disparaged altogether. And then the uh, reversals in the media and so on. So there are people who are very skeptical. The fact that the uh, FDA has not given uh, approval beyond emergency has also accounted for some reluctance. And uh, the hope is that will change at some point in the near future. Coming up, a classic interview with Everett Piper, author of Grow Up. We'll be back. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. I've been anticipating this conversation uh, not only today, but for the uh, the days previous in which we were told that we had an opportunity to talk with Dr. Everett Piper. Now, some of you are familiar with his earlier work, and I'm delighted that he's written a second book. We're going to talk about it. Uh, here today. He makes the point that the left is quick to cancel, to boycott, to blacklist any ideas they don't agree with. Um, there are a number of recent headlines that make that point. We won't go over them now, but perhaps in our conversation. Well, former university president and national best-selling author, Dr. Everett Piper, his newest book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, addresses cancel culture head on. Lenny's latest op-ed for the Washington Times titled Progressive Tolerance is a self-congratulating virtue signal, uh, signaling one-way street. Dr. Piper reveals the the damning truth about the progress and the progressive tolerance movement. Today, he joins us to talk about his latest book, and I am delighted to uh, draw that to your attention. Again, grow up. Life isn't safe, but it's good. Dr. Piper, such a delight to have you with us. Oh, I'm always honored. Thank you for having me on. Now, this is unlike your first book, which is a must read from any serious thinker who wants to understand the culture, the direction we're going and what the problem is. Uh, this second book really purports to offer some solutions and give us some direction. And where do where do we go in this culture we find ourselves in? Is that a fair characterization of the two books? Yes, it is. Uh, in Not a Daycare, which is the first book you're referring to. I basically called out the snowflake rebellion and I waved the flag as an educator. And I said, this is not going to end. Well, I called out the narcissism and the self-absorption of the snowflakes that were protesting at Berkeley and Brown and every place in between. And I think today, as I write this second book, grow up, I'm basically saying this. I told you so. I told you when I wrote Not a Daycare that what's taught today in the classroom will be practiced tomorrow in our culture. And here we are some five years later, and the snowflakes have graduated. They left Berkeley and Brown, and they now work for Google and Amazon and Facebook and Twitter and Major League Baseball. And the cancel culture that they were so notorious for on the college campus is now in the corporate boardroom and they're canceling you. They're canceling me. They're silencing us. Anytime we say something that makes them feel uncomfortable and that's a very dangerous place for any culture to be, because when you start elevating feelings over facts, you're going to lose your freedom. So grow up is not so much bemoaning the problem any further. However, I do address it. Mm -hmm. It's a book of 20 different lessons, solutions, if you will, on what to do about this nonsense. Well, and I think that's what people are waiting for. We recognize what's happening. What to do about it is another question. In your brilliantly written introduction, you start out by saying it's 1984 and we're living in schizophrenic times, Dickensian times, Orwellian times, the best of times, but yet the worst. Times where we demand the truth while reveling in our lies. Times of great material gain, but of even greater moral loss. Times of calling good evil and evil good, bitter sweet and sweet bitter. Times of the tolerance not tolerating what they find intolerable. And you go on from there to describe the times that we're living in, which is almost laughable if it weren't true, if we weren't seeing it unfolding and recognizing the implications of what's now being broadly embraced and imposed. Uh, It would be almost comical, but of course it is not. 
Well, it, it is. I mean, we actually hear people say stuff like this. I can't tolerate your intolerance. I hate hateful people. I'm sure nothing is sure. I know nothing can be known. I'm absolutely confident there are no absolutes. This is the self-refuting duplicity of the postmodern mind. We've got people like AOC and Nancy Pelosi that actually say this stuff, mm-hmm. and it makes no sense. They're sawing off the rhetorical branch on which they sit, and it's going to come crumbling down. How did we get in this mess? Bad ideas. You teach bad ideas, you're going to be bad culture. How do we get out of this mess? Well, if garbage in, garbage out is the problem, maybe goodness in, goodness out is the solution. Maybe if we would, would return to teaching the time-tested truths, those self-evident truths that are endowed to us by our Creator, biblical truths, self, self-evident truth, revelational truth, natural law, maybe if we would teach the goodness of debate, the goodness of dissonance, the goodness of truth, we could actually get out of this mess and have a free culture one than, rather than one that's controlled by a bunch of self-righteous oligarchs that want to tell you and me how to do everything today, down to the point where they're telling us how to use the bathroom and what pronouns to use. Hmm. This is not liberty, this is fascism. What's at stake is the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the freedom of association, of expression. Many of us are overwhelmed by what we're seeing and hearing. Uh, The mainstream media is not doing its job. Journalism has become something else altogether. And the temptation is to put our heads in the sand and just assume that, first of all, there's nothing we can do about it. And secondly, um, we're not really prepared to do anything about it. What's at stake here if we allow this wave to continue to overwhelm the culture? Well, I'm not a physicist, but there's one thing I did learn in junior high class, and that is vacuums are always filled. When you kill God, when you take God out of the public square, you're not going to have radical secularism lived for very long, because secularism cannot sustain itself. It's a vacuum. Something's going to fill the vacuum, and that vacuum that has resulted, or excuse me, the, the, the taking the Judeo-Christian ethic out of our culture has created this vacuum that will be filled, and it's being filled right now by wokeism, by a revival of Gnosticism, by self-righteous congratulation, where I elevate myself to be as God, and I'm going to impose my will on everybody else because they won't worship me. That's where we are as a culture right now. The solution is to get back to recognizing that the Judeo-Christian ethic, the biblical worldview, is the worldview that's given us greater freedom, greater amounts of freedom than at any other time in human history. The biblical worldview is a worldview of liberty. It's not a worldview of license. It's not a worldview of control. It's a worldview of freedom. We're talking with Dr. Everett Piper. His latest book is titled Grow Up. Life isn't safe, but it's good. And as we mentioned earlier, this book really focuses on solutions. And I think people are hungry for solutions. What can we do about our current um, situation that, again, is is overtaking culture? We're seeing it, seeing it in government. We're seeing it in journalism. We're seeing it uh, in education and elsewhere. Let's talk about solutions. Where do we begin to confront um, this uh, this current trend uh, away from personal responsibility and uh, and fascism in which my views are imposed on others. And unless you are willing to conform, you will be silenced. Well, let me just take one of the chapters out of the book. It's titled Don't Fall in the Pool. And in that chapter, I tell the story of Narcissus. 
um, Greek mythology, mm-hmm. Narcissus being so infatuated, so in love with himself, so mesmerized by his own beauty that he sat at the river's edge, gazing at his own reflection in the pool until one day, satiated and exhausted from his own self-worship, he fell into the pool and drowned. What's the lesson there? You're not God. I'm not God. There's something bigger, better, more grand, and more beautiful than you and me. And we need to elevate ourselves to the higher goods rather than being too easily satisfied with our own selfishness and self-worship. If we gaze at our own reflection, if we look at the God we see in the mirror and start worshiping it, rather than looking at the God we see in the Bible and humbling ourselves before him, then we're going to suffer and we're going to fall in the pool. The solution is to put first things first. The subtitle of my book is Life is Not Safe, But It's Good. C.S. Lewis tells us in the Chronicles of Narnia that the great lion Aslan is not safe, but he's good. So the Christ figure, Jesus Christ himself, is not safe, but he's good. We need to paraphrase that and recognize that the ivory tower isn't safe. It's good. Freedom isn't safe, but it's good. Liberty isn't safe, but it's good. There are good things in life, and there are safe things in life, and we need to aspire for the goodness and not be too easily satisfied with the safety. Now, to whom is this book written? Uh, we know that the ideas that uh, you wrote about in your first first book have uh, made their way off of college campuses and into the broader culture. Is this for those who have embraced this new worldview? Is it for the rest of us who are concerned about the, the course that the nation and the culture is taking? Or is it for everyone? To whom is it specifically written? Well, it's a good question. I had some somebody ask me once, is this a generational joust? Are you poking at millennials and Gen Zers? And the answer is no. It's a challenge to everyone, because I would argue that this isn't an age, this is not an age-specific issue. Mm-hmm. This is an issue that has overwhelmed all of us. When you have the Speaker of the United States House of Representatives stooping to the juvenile antics of tearing up the president's speech at a State of the Union address because she doesn't like what he said. If we have actually become a nation where 70-year-olds can behave like children and get away with it, we have a problem. All of us need to grow up. The Apostle Paul tells us in, in Ephesians that we need to speak the truth in love and grow up. He's not just talking to kids. He's talking to the entire church, that we need to set childish things aside and grow up. This challenge to grow up and act like mature adults, thinking, critical, mature adults, is something our entire culture needs to hear right now, not just millennials or Gen Zers. We're talking this afternoon with Dr. Everett Piper, his latest book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. The book is published by Regnery, just released. It is a must read. And I don't say that about many of the books that we review on this program. This is a must read as well as his uh, first publication. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. Everett Piper. Grow Up is the title of his book, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. Uh, an excellent uh, read for anyone who looks at uh, what's going on in the culture and looking for solutions. One of your chapters is titled Love Lost. Uh, and that may be surprising, the subject of love in the context of uh, these issues and the solution. What does love have to do with it, where we find ourselves and how we can uh, find ourselves out of the current situation? 
Well, this is a this is a chapter that's very important for our time because I'm arguing in the book, and I've argued at speeches that I've given and other writing that I've done, is that our postmodern culture has abandoned the objective definition of words. And one of those words that we've compromised greatly is the word love. We now think love and sex are synonymous. We treat it that way. Well, I would just say this to all the listeners right now on your show, Georgina, that um, love and sex are not synonymous because we love a lot of people that we choose not to have sex with. At least I hope we do. So they can't be synonymous terms. Love is uh, synonymous with Christian charity. I was once on the O'Reilly Factor, and Bill O'Reilly and I got onto the issue of tolerance. And I looked at Mr. O'Reilly and I said this. I, had, I asked him a rhetorical question. I said, Mr. O'Reilly, on your anniversary, did you send your wife an I tolerate you card? And I think I accomplished something that very few people have accomplished. He was silent for a minute. And then I suggested, you probably didn't send your wife an I tolerate you card because it wouldn't have ended very well. And the reason for that is tolerance is an inferior virtue. Tolerance says, I don't love you. I don't even like you, but I'll tolerate you. Go do what you want. Christian charity, love, is a superior virtue. Whereas tolerance says, I could not care less about you. Do what you want. Love says, I care deeply about you, enough to stand in your way and tell you to stop. Love is superior. Tolerance is inferior. And again, this goes back to the subtitle of my book. There are first things and there are second things. Safety is a second thing. Goodness, as defined by God, not you, not me, the good things that are defined by God are the first things. And C.S. Lewis told us, if you put first things first, you're going to get the first and maybe the second thrown into boot. But if you reverse your priorities and get them all screwed up, you're not going to get either the first or the second. Again, we need to grow up, set childish things aside, and speak the truth. It's an objective reality. It's not about your feelings. It's about the facts. In love, love is not just enablement or tolerance, it actually cares enough to stand in a person's way and help them mature, speak the truth in love, and grow up. You paraphrase uh, Martin Niemuller um, in his famous um, a statement that first, uh, again, paraphrasing, first they came for the bakers and I said nothing because I wasn't a baker. Then they came for the photographer and I said nothing because I wasn't a photographer. Then they came for the florist and I said nothing because I wasn't a florist. Then they came for the conservative black woman and conservative Jew and I said nothing because I wasn't black or Jewish, although I'm black. Just put that in there. When they came for me, there was no, there was no one left to speak. Um, these are trying and difficult times in which courage uh, among those who recognize the truth as opposed to the, the culture that we find ourselves in requires that we step up. What do you think is the most important thing that we need to do? First of all, understanding, I suppose, the culture, but that we need to do to stand against and push against what is popularized in virtually every um, area of, of influence and leadership in the country. I was asked that question in a speech I gave down in Oklahoma City just a week or so ago. And I, I said, here's the solution. The body of Christ needs to grow a spine. My land, get some courage, get some confidence, engage culture, run toward the storm. Don't run away from it. Wave the banner of truth. Wave the banner of truth with a capital T. If you win waving that banner, great, that's God's grace. If you lose waving that banner, who cares? It's the right banner to wave. Be willing to go down fighting. If you're not willing to lose everything, then you're never going to win 
anything. You've got to be able to lose for what's right if you're going to gain a victory. This is what Martin Luther King Jr. knew. He was willing to lose for the sake of victory. This is what our founding fathers knew. They were willing to pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor for the sake of what? Human freedom, for liberty, for the founding of a constitutional republic. Our culture right now, even the church, has lost its spine, it's lost its confidence, and it's lost its courage. We have to be able and willing and eager to run into the storm, not away from it. We're talking with Dr. Everett Piper, his latest book, Grow Up, Life isn't safe, but it's good. You um, quote to Mr. Weaver, in which he makes the point that ideas have consequences. And his seminal book was written at a time uh, following the war in which that was made, uh, uh, that was proven in bright relief. Um, Talk a little bit about the ideas that are being taught to young people today, the ideas that we hold, how we confront them in a way that will resonate and uh, can ultimately challenge our current course. Well, Richard Weaver's seminal work is titled Ideas Have Consequences. He wrote it in 1948, and I think the timing of that book is very pertinent because he's writing it just a handful of years after the Holocaust, after the Nazi regime, after the attempt to exterminate Jews from the face of the earth. He's saying that ideas have consequences. Basically, I'll paraphrase Weaver. He's saying saying this, garbage in, garbage out. We should have seen this coming. We've been teaching terrible ideas for generations. We shouldn't be surprised to see the chickens coming home to roost. And that warning that he gave us in 1948 is so pertinent right now. Today, we're teaching that socialism is good and that capitalism is bad. We're teaching that public ownership of property is good, but private ownership of your own home is bad. We're teaching conflict theory. We used to teach the bourgeoisie against the proletariat. That didn't work for Marxism, so they just moved the target, and now it's racial conflict. And now we have critical race theory, critical legal theory, and critical critical theory in general, which pits me against you. I deserve my pound of flesh. It's all about me. This is a childish way at looking at life. I would say the common thread in all of these alphabet soup agendas, whether it be LGBTQ, XYZ, or BLM, or critical race theory, intersectionality, white privilege, all of these arguments, cancel culture, uh, uh, trigger warnings, microaggressions, they all have the common denominator of selfishness, self-absorption, narcissism, childishness, and a perpetual whine and pout where I want mine at the expense of yours. That is not an adult way to live. Mm. Well, at this, at the core, this book is uh, meant to be a book of solutions, and I, th- I know that you will find them there. I highly recommend it, and uh, again, would make this a, a on my list a must read for those of us who take seriously what we're witnessing across the culture. Dr. Piper, thank you so much for the book, and thank you for taking the time to be with us here today. I really appreciate it. I'm so honored to be on your show. Blessings to you. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the White House announced on Friday a slate of nominations and appointments for top religious affairs roles that includes the first Muslim American nominated to be the U.S. Ambassador at Large for International Religious Freedom. Well, the president will select Rashad Hussein as his nominee for that post, filling a State Department slot vacant since former Kansas Governor and U.S. Senator Sam Brownback 
who co-chaired the bipartisan International Religious Freedom Summit and uh, for 1,200 attendees this month left at the close of the Trump administration. While Hussein, who would need to be confirmed by the Senate, currently works as director of partnerships and global engagement at the National Security Council. He previously served as White House counsel under President Barack Obama, as well as U.S. Special Envoy to the Organization of Islamic Cooperation and U.S. Special Envoy for the Center for Strategic Counterterrorism Communications, among other roles. Knox Thames, who served at the State Department as a special advisor for religious minorities during both the Obama and the Trump administrations, told Christianity Today that Hussein was a strong pick. He knows human rights. He cares about religious freedom. I saw firsthand how he raised these issues when he served as uh, OIC envoy. I know he'll be able to hit the ground running from day one to combat religious persecution. Judd Birdsall, who's a senior research fellow at the Berkeley Center for Religion, Peace and World Affairs at Georgetown University. He served with Hussein at the State Department from 2009 to 2011. He told Christianity Today that the nomination is a fantastic choice because Hussein has impeccable credentials, extensive diplomatic and legal experience and unique credibility as a Muslim American. I greatly respected his thoughtful, humble and um, a capacious approach to all things religion and diplomacy, including the promotion of religious freedom. He understands the religious minority experience and is a passionate advocate for all those who suffer on account of their beliefs. End quote. Well, also noteworthy is the speed of the nomination coming at a similar pace to President Donald Trump's selection of Brownback as the international religious freedom ambassador After just six months, the most tangible measure of an administration's commitment to international religious freedom is the quality of its ambassador nominee and the speed with which it makes that nomination. Birdsall, again, speaking to Christianity Today, said that whereas President Bush took 14 months to announce his nomination for the job and Obama took 17, Biden is strongly signaling his commitment to the issue by taking only seven months to announce an outstanding nominee. Well, by nominating a Muslim to serve uh, as the International Religious Freedom Ambassador, the administration is decisively turning the page on an era in which perception of anti-Muslim sentiment undermined the nation's reputation on religious freedom. Rashad uh, Hussein will help to restore America's credibility as a champion of tolerance and inclusion. I'm not sure to which audience he was uh, referring, but nonetheless, that's a quote. The task of advancing religious freedom is best done when all faiths work together. That's a quote from the vice president of global operations at the Institute for Global Engagement, James Chen. So the Biden administration's appointment of Mr. Hussein is encouraging to see a global senior pastor from Norwood, rather Northwood Church and founder of multi-faith neighbors network. Bob Roberts said that he was also excited for Hussein's nomination. He will be incredible. He is a wise man of character. Um, Him being a Muslim is a very positive thing in that he will be able to walk into sensitive places in the world and be unparalleled in his ability to understand, speak to issues and challenge right actions. We've had Christians in that role and a rabbi uh, in David Saperstein. He said a Muslim is a good choice. Well, President Biden's appointment of a Muslim. To this position is a reminder that the U.S. position on religious freedom has always been for people of all faiths and even for those who express no particular faith. Randall Everett, who's the founder and president of 21 Wilberforce, Elijah Brown, who's general secretary and CEO of the Baptist World Alliance, said uh, that the nomination is a strategic development because Hussein brings a depth of experience across all three 
branches of the U.S. government and a wide array of faith-based initiatives, including Baptist Muslim conversations. I join with many others in urging Congress to quickly confirm him to this ambassadorship, he said, as many, especially in light of the ongoing global pandemic, face unprecedented restrictions as they seek to live out their faith convictions. Jeremy Barker, who is the Airbill-based Middle East program director at the Religious Freedom Institute, said that Hussein is a great choice who has done serious um, security and diplomatic policy work, which will be vital in advancing religious freedom within an administration that had uh, said it wants to prioritize human rights within its foreign policy. He's also a person of faith, a Muslim faith, who takes his own religion seriously and understands that religious persecution strikes at something fundamental to an individual or community. Again, uh, that um, nomination will face Senate approval. It's expected that will be sooner rather than later. And he appears to be at this point to have wide uh, support. In other news, many Americans are expressing their disappointment and anger at an athletic shoemaker converse. Now, that's as American as apple pie, isn't it? Well, they've launched a new line of sneakers in collaboration with fashion designer Rick Owens, featuring a satanic pentagram, which is the logo of his uh, brand, Dark Shadow. Actually, it's just D-R-K-S-H-D-W. Now, some of you remember way back in the, I think it was the 60s, maybe the 70s, when Dark Shadow was a very popular television program. Anyway, said one of the, um, well, former purveyors of Converse wear, footwear, this is sad. I grew up wearing Converse, but seeing that satanic marketing through your shoes, I won't be buying into this. God help you. As a comment on the Shoemaker's Instagram account, where it launched the sneaker featuring a pentagram in place of the iconic Chuck Taylor star uh, last week. Another follower thanked Converse for showing its real side. No more purchase, they added. Well, in the launch post on social media, Converse wrote, The aesthetic is all about disrupting formality, embracing traditional structure, and then blowing it up. Rick Evans crafts a Chuck 70 unlike any other, and it's only the beginning for Converse and dark shadow. And again, I'm saying the words when it's just the initials. In another post by Converse, Owens wrote, um, I've been using this pentagram for a long time because obviously it has adolescent occult associations, end quote. He added that he likes geometric diagrams like that because in a very primal way, they are a culture's uh, grasp for control and a way to organize thoughts and systems. Well, Owens continued, and a pentagram in this day and age with all of its associations, I like the fact that it refers to an alternative system and that suggesting suggests rather openness and empathy. It suggests the pursuit of pleasure, this pursuit of sensation. But one of the main things that I think it suggests is empathy and a consideration of systems of living that might not be standard. So that leads us to be more accepting and tolerant of other systems, which I think is a good thing. Again, this is the designer of the new Converse that uh, brandishes a pentagram earlier this year. Mischief, which is M-S-C-H-F, a Brooklyn-based collective, modified Nike Air Max 97s into a Satan Shoes line and released uh, it in collaboration with rapper Lil Nas X. Well, the controversial shoes incorporated um, drops of blood and ink uh, into an air bubble. Uh, They were decorated with a pentagram pendant and a reference to Luke 10, 18. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So it's getting a bit deeper or maybe thick in here is a better word. Well, in this ebook, you will learn the importance of um, 
all of this that they've produced apparently in connection with all of this. Well, the Satan Shoes release coincided with Lil Nas X single Montero, Call Me By Your Name, and its accompanying music video. In the video, Lil Nas X, and no, I have no idea, descended a, um, a stripper pole and gave Satan, well, a dance. I'll just leave it at that. Anyway, both the release of the Satan Shoes and the music video were announced ahead of Palm Sunday weekend. So they were trying to get some kind of reaction. They got one. And now, apparently, so has Converse. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Want to thank James Blend for producing, Clark Hilton for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.